You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Nads and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto. I'm your host, Walter Rigabon. As usual with me in studio, my co-host, Naz Marchese. Good morning, Naz. How are you? Good, Wally. How are you? Good. Uh, not a great result last night in the Leafs no, Bruins uh, game. but very uh, poor, as a matter of fact. <laughs> anyways, before we get to that, uh, just to let our listeners know uh, who's coming up on the show today. We're we'll talking to Leo Routens. Uh, Leo Routens, of course, uh, uh, local basketball legend. Uh, but we've got a, a big, big uh, topic to discuss with him this morning. Canada, uh, for the first time in a while, has qualified for the 2019 FIBA World Basketball Cup, and they were able to do that. Uh, they beat Brazil this week uh, handily down in uh, uh, down south, and um, they were able to do it with a lot of without having to utilize a lot of their NBA stars. So that's uh, certainly a promising development for Canadian basketball, uh, and hopefully we'll get a lot of Canada's. Uh, uh, Canada's young stars into the lineup when they when they go at it uh, in the FIBA World Cup uh, in 2019. So we'll talk to Leo about that. Maybe we'll get in a couple of Raptors questions as well, Naz. And middle of the hour, uh, certainly looking forward to this one, Naz. Hockey night in Canada legend, legend, Brian McFarland. And uh, McFarlane. Um, so certainly we're thrilled to be able to uh, chat with Brian about... Uh, but a lot of different things. There's uh, very few people who have accomplished uh, what Brian has accomplished in so many different, different areas, broadcasting, writing, painting, uh, you name it. Brian McFarland has done it. So uh, we're thrilled to have him on the air today, Naz. So getting back to the Leafs and the Bruins. You saw the game last night. Uh, give us, you know, pathetic, we can't. Pathetic, Walt. Okay, so uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to expound upon that, Naz. Uh, this uh, this I thought uh, had the elements of being a statement game for the for the Leafs. Uh, the Bruins have been their nemesis uh, for a while. Uh, you know that they I, didn't play the Bruins last night. They played Providence and still <laughs> lost. And uh, those things happen, though. Yeah, it just I, I uh, unfortunately had uh, some Christmas festivities to attend last night. I was checking out the scores uh, on my iPhone, uh, getting my wife upset at me. Uh, uh, you know, couldn't had to had to follow what was going on, but wasn't able to watch the game. Uh, you know, I looked at my phone. I think at one point it was four nothing Boston. I said, "What's going on here?" I thought I thought they would come out like gangbusters last night. You know, Boston has Boston gotten into their heads? What's going on, Ness? It's always this thing about Boston. It wasn't it wasn't it back in the sixties that Boston beat them eleven nothing one night. Do you, remember, do you remember that, Walden? <laughs> Maybe we could talk to Brian McFarland yeah, about that one. Nothing. You, you remember? You know the story behind that one, Naz. Uh, those were the days on Hockey <laughs> Night in Canada. It wouldn't come on. I uh, the games used to start at eight o'clock, and uh, in the early days, it wouldn't go on TV till nine o'clock. You know what I used to then do? Then at eight thirty, it used to come on at eight thirty. Well, you know what I used to do? Yeah, I used to listen. 
I used to call Maple Leaf Gardens for the <laughs> for score. For the scores. <laughs> and, and they would answer the phone, Boston 3, Toronto nothing. I, did, I explained, I, I, I tell these stories to my kids and they, 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 they think I lived head, in eh? the Flintstones era. I mean, now you get it, you get, you get the, you get the Twitter feeds and the score updates and all that stuff like instantaneously in those days you had to call Maple, Leaf, call Gardens. Maple Leaf Gardens. But the interesting thing about that game that you mentioned, I can't let this one go by, Naz. Uh, I remember that game like it was yesterday because the Leafs were defending Stanley Cup champions. The Boston Bruins were the... They were pathetic. They were pathetic. They had finished last, like, I don't remember, five or six years, in the, and they were considered, like, easy pickings in those days. And... 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 Uh, the, the the TV would come on at eight. And, uh, the TV would be on. My mother would make me watch Lawrence Welk until until yeah, the Hockey Welk, Night yeah. Canada came on. Juliet too. Right? And Juliet was after the show. Was after was after the game. But uh, the game comes on, and the first thing that comes on is on the screen. The old black and white screen would be sitting around watching it. And I looked at the scoreboard, and it was six nothing Boston. After like right at near the end of the first period, I go, "What happened here?" It was six nothing, and the Leafs ended up uh, losing that game eleven nothing. Uh, Johnny Bauer wasn't in net. Don Simmons was in net, and uh, yeah, that you know. So I, maybe the, maybe the Leafs have had the Bruins in their heads for a long time, but uh, you know the the problem. You know, getting back to uh, where this is going. Somehow, uh, you know, you know, and I get it's a long season. You know, one game's one game. We're not going to get excited about it. But I, I would have thought last night's game meant something to the Leafs because, you know, we may be headed to a situation. You know, if the Leafs can't catch Tampa, you know, we're, it's Boston, Toronto again in the in the first. Hopefully, you know, hopefully the Leafs make it. I have every reason not to think that they won't, but. You know, you never know in a long season, but we're headed where it seemed to be headed towards another Toronto-Boston first round series. And, you know, Toronto's got to figure out a way, they got to figure out a way to bring it uh, uh, against the Bruins. And last night you would have thought they wanted to make a statement, and Naz, I didn't see the game, but you you explained to me they came out flat. They weren't first on the puck at all the whole night. They they were, they, they played a team that was depleted with injuries. Like, the Bruins are really banged up, and the Leafs couldn't take advantage of it. But that that has a lot to do with a team getting up for a game. Because you look at the opposition, you go, this guy's out, this guy's out, this guy's out. And you go flat. And you go flat. And that's exactly what happened to the Leafs last night. And Anderson didn't play well for the first time this year. And it happens. You know, it happens. It's, you know, like like we said, it's a long season. There's there's going to be ups and downs. You know, didn't didn't play didn't play that great of a game against uh, Detroit. The, Detroit. The but third period, they, they, they came were back. Phenomenal. They yeah. came back. Uh, you know, so hopefully, you know, this week they turn it around a little bit. I think their next one's against Carolina, is it not? Yes. Tuesday night, I believe. Uh, so hopefully, uh, you know. Nylander gets in the swing of things. See anything different in Nylander's performance last last night? night. He played better. Yeah. yeah. He was was fine. So, you know, they seem to be at full strength. And uh, really, really quickly before we go to break, Naz, um, you talked about it. You got something you think may significantly change the Leafs' fortunes this year. You've been taught, you you know, you brought it to uh, my attention it seems to have found its way into uh, into the press reports in the last day. Um, give our listeners an Alex idea. Alex Petrangelo, a, Toronto, a King City native, um, 
looks like he's up for trade. He's got two years left at $6.5 million. And they're talking, this was reported by Sportsnet last night. They're talking about uh, him getting traded to Toronto for uh, a Zaitsev. They'd have to take Zaitsev's contract, St. Louis. Plus, they would get Kapanen and a uh, first and second round pick. E E, that's uh, that's a lot. Uh, that's a lot. Well, if we get an opportunity, we'll talk about it later in the show. Uh, I hate to see Kapanen go. Uh, Petrangelo, I think, would be a tremendous, tremendous fit on this team. Don't like to see Kapanen go and uh, giving up a first and a second. Well, you know what? You're talking about a world-class defenseman. You're not going to get him for cheap. Yeah, he's but, a stud defenseman, and he yeah. signed a really uh, interesting it's contract. It's cap-friendly. Cap friendly. Yeah, six and a half is uh, not a lot for a guy That's like, going to be a discussion like that. that's going to ramp up. You know, the press likes to get a hold of this stuff, and uh, we'll see where that debate goes. Anyways, we're going to go to break. Uh, when we come back from break, we'll be talking to Leo Routens. We'll be right back. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville decreed everyone can now be Italian, at least for an hour. When you order a Pizzaville office lunch, your staff will enjoy authentic Italian pizza and more from just $7 per person. That's not much to turn William into Guillermo, Tracy into Teresa, and Stan into... Well, maybe he won't be in that day. Pizzaville stone-baked pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. The best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. Are they ever wrong about sports? I can answer that in two words. Impossible. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We are live from Liberty Village in downtown Toronto on the new AM740. If you're listening in Toronto... 96.7 96.7 FM on the internet, live video streaming, www.zoomerradio.ca. We're pleased to welcome back to the uh, Nazawali Sports Hour, Raptors analyst, Toronto Raptors analyst, and uh, for purposes of this morning's discussion, former coach of Canada's national basketball team, Leo Routens. Good morning, Leo. How are you? 
I'm great. How are you guys this morning? We're doing great. Thanks so much for joining us once again, Leo. And uh, again, to get right to it, Leo, um, this is a big week in in Canadian basketball. Um, Canada's uh, national team has uh, has qualified for the FIBA World Cup. Um, Leo, your uh, your reaction to uh, to the uh, to the accomplishment and how significant of an accomplishment is it, and what does it mean for Canadian basketball? Well, it's it's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, you know, the the new FIBA rules have really made it difficult uh, for North American teams more than anybody else because your best players uh, are in the NBA. Uh, your next best are playing in top leagues in Europe. Now, in Europe. Uh, the the European leagues take a break. They have that FIBA window. They'll take a break, and uh, some players get released from teams, others don't. But uh, generally, you have that option. Uh, NBA players, there's there's no break. So uh, Canada, uh, like the United States, is in a tough position where they cannot use their best players. So the next thing is, you know, the key to having a, a great uh, international team is to have a pool of players that you can draw from. Uh, that can fill in these type of, of periods. And again, for for Canada, this is a, this is a difficult a difficult period. Uh, there's two periods where you can't use NBA players. So for them to be able to assemble a group, Roy Rana's done a, a just a phenomenal job uh, coaching Canada, not only at the senior level but the junior level with the U19s winning a gold the last year. Uh, you have players that are just committed to playing and. Uh, uh, they, they've, they've given up all kinds of opportunities and, and doing whatever they can to help Canada succeed and knowing that they very well could not be, you know, on the World Cup roster uh, because of the NBA players and more talent coming in. But, um, you know, they did what they had to do and it was a great accomplishment. And here's something you got to keep in mind, that if you don't qualify for the Worlds, there's no Olympics. Uh, the only way to the Olympics is through the World Cup. So, uh, it, 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 uh, it would have been a double whammy had they not made it because you would not, one, you wouldn't have played in the World Cup and you wouldn't play in the Olympics. So it would be a two-year window um, that you would miss. And with all the young talent that Canada has, that would be, uh, frankly, devastating for the program. Leo, there's 35 players that played through this qualification. Uh, incredible, the depth in Canada the, these past couple of years, how it's improved a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, from the time that I was coaching Canada, I always said that, you know, the Canada is not going to be successful until, until we have a pool of players, you know, 25, 30 players that you can draw from uh, because of what things like this or, you know, injuries, contract disputes, who knows what, uh, fatigue. There's all kinds of reasons a player may or may not play. Uh, and I can remember as a coach, when you're playing against the top teams in the world, you know, sometimes they might not have two or three guys, but then I'm looking at the next two or three guys they bring in, I go, holy mackerel, these guys are good. And they have experience, and, and, and they're still helping them win. So uh, for Canada to get to that level, that's what we needed, and that's what we're getting at. Um, you know, a lot of these players, you know, now because of international basketball and, and playing professionally overseas have, have a lot of FIBA experience. It makes a huge difference. Uh, they've a lot of these guys have interchanged with uh, the NBA players over the summer periods uh, through camps and, and competition. So, you know, they're well seasoned as to what the program wants to do. Uh, and, and you know, the biggest thing is you develop a fraternity. Um, you know, when I played for Canada, 
you couldn't wait to play in the summer to hang out with all your guys. I mean, these are guys you kind of grew up with, and it, it was just so much fun, the, the camaraderie and traveling around the world playing together. And you have that now where you know, there's a lot of guys, that, even the NBA guys, they've committed to it. Um, they love getting together. They put pressure on each other to play uh, because it's fun. And, and, and representing your country, that's, that's about as good as it gets. So uh, Canada's in a great position going forward. Uh, we're talking to Leo Routens. Leo, you, you coached Canada's national basketball team from 2005 to 2011, and, it, and it's really incredible um, uh, where we're at now. We're, we seem to be on the verge of, uh, you know, the United States is always going to be the world powerhouse in basketball. But uh, I don't see any reason why Canada can't be in the conversation for a potential medalist at the Olympic Games. Uh, talk a little bit about where where we've come in the last five, six, seven years and where, where we might be going in the next few years. Well, I, I think you said it. There's no reason Canada can't be in the medal conversation going forward. Um, you know, Canada has the most players in the NBA outside of the United States. And that number is going to continue to grow. I mean, just this year, in college basketball, there are probably three or four kids that could be lottery pick or first-round picks. Um, so that, that, that NBA factor is going to continue to grow. Um, you know, when I took over in 2005, uh, you have to remember, in 2004, Canada had Steve Nash, uh, Rowan Barrett, a veteran group uh, on the national team, and they got absolutely destroyed. I mean, Steve Nash was the best point guard in FIBA, and they got destroyed by Brazil, United States, Argentina. Um, and then when I took over and a lot of these guys retired, um, you could see that on the senior level, the cupboards were bare. And, you know, we made a conscious decision. And when I say that, we at Canada Basketball, myself, that all our best kids were still coming. They're younger. The best was at the bottom. And it was a conscious effort to, to rebuild the program bottom up and, uh, you know, do everything we could to develop these young kids. And, you know, all that's kind of come to fruition. Uh, the game has grown, so you're... You know, the opportunities to play this game are enormous in this country. And, uh, you know, so the, all these kids came into the program. And then you look at a, a, a coach like Roy Rana. Uh, you know, when I was coaching Canada, um, you know, Roy could have easily been, you know, on the senior team with me, and he was at different times. But, you know, Roy and I had numerous conversations, and I said, Roy, you know, your impact with these young players is incredible the relationship you have with these guys and, and what you've established, uh, nobody else has that. And if, if you can continue with the younger players and groom them and develop them for the senior team, uh, that's when Canada is going to be most successful. And Roy bought into that. Um, and, 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 and so Roy is, Roy's been a big part of not only now, you know, qualifying and winning, but that whole process to get Canada there. So, the future is bright, and, and there's no reason Canada uh, can't become a medal contender. Uh, and not only, not only in the World Cup and going forward, but, you know, this is a cycle that should not end. This is going to continue. Leo, there's, uh, you were saying there's three guys that could go first round in the NBA draft this year from Canada. Is that correct? Well, there's, you have R.J. Barrett that could potentially be uh, you know, a number one pick. Lugans Dort is a freshman at Arizona State. Uh, you know, he, he's, he, he's, he's a potential first-round pick. 
Uh, Iggy Berzikis at Michigan uh, is another uh, potential first-round pick. Uh, you have a young man, Nate Lawson, at, at South Carolina uh, that's having a, a tremendous season. Uh, Keon Alexander in, uh, playing in, uh, in the States as well is, is, is doing tremendous things, and he's, he's a projected first-round pick. And I'm probably, you know, uh, I'm probably missing a, a, a name or wow. two, but uh, it, it, it's tremendous what's happening. And and like I said, uh, Simi Shitu at, at Vanderbilt, uh, you know, the, and this is this is just going to keep going. I mean, there's more kids uh, coming up, um, so we're in we're in this tremendous period. And you got to remember, in the history of Canada, we, we've had NBA players, right? We've had some pretty good ones, but it was very cyclical. You'd have a, you know, have one or you know, for example, my year, you know, myself, Stuart Granger, uh, then Billy Wennington came after that, Steve Nash, but it was always you'd have a couple and then there's a drop off. Mm-hmm. You have a couple, then there's a drop off. Um, you know, now what's happening is every year there's more. So you know, and, and this is the impact, quite honestly, the impact of the NBA in Canada. You know, all these kids grew up with the NBA. Uh, the NBA was something I rarely saw when I was growing up. And, 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 you know, you're living in a hockey country and you say you want to play basketball, people look at you like you're crazy. Uh, now, you know, Canada has uh, some of the best, you know, AAU programs in North America. Uh, they have some top-notch prep schools that can compete with anybody in North America. Uh, more and more kids are going to high D1 schools and not only going there but becoming stars at those schools. Um, so you, you just keep looking at what's happening, and we've hit a point where, uh, just like the United States, every year we're going to have players going in the in the top part of the draft and uh, and, and being you know uh, good NBA players, and and the pool is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. R.J. Barrett is a 18 year old highlight reel, Leo. He's <laughs> incredible. I cannot believe how good this kid is. He's going to be the. Yeah. I'm sure he's going to be a, the the leader of this team within the next three or four years for Canada. Yeah, I mean RJ Barrett's a special player. You know, obviously uh, the family genes are, are are tremendous. You know, his dad played for Canada. His mom was an athlete, and uh, you know he's a tr- he's a tremendous athlete himself. But what I love about this kid, he's got a great attitude. Um, he works his tail off. You know, he he just doesn't want to be good. He wants to be great. Uh, you know, he just doesn't step on the floor to play. He wants to be the best player on the floor every time he plays. And, uh, you know, he's got a great motor. Uh, you know, I, I think if you compare, you know, Andrew Wiggins, you know, was a great you know player coming out of Canada, still is a tremendous NBA player. But, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, the question mark with Andrew has always been his motor. Uh, when you look at an R.J. Barrett, no one questions that. I mean, like I said, he comes out and he plays, uh, he plays angry. He plays like he, you know, he wants to own you. And uh, when you got a player with that kind of mentality and that kind of attitude and all the physical skills that he has, um, you know, the future is, is incredible. And, you know, he's also playing with a very unique and, and, and special player in Zion Williamson. So, you know, he may go, one of those guys may go number one in the draft depending on, you know, what team and, and what the needs are. But, uh, you know, to be, to be in that conversation as a, as a one, two, or three pick in the draft, uh, that tells you how special you are. Uh, uh, Leo, uh, just uh, a couple more questions and we'll let you go. Uh, the FIBA World Cup's coming up August 31st to September 15th, and of course Canada's going to be there. And 
and that's it's always been uh, it's always been difficult uh, for various reasons for us to uh, to field uh, our absolute best. There's always been contract issues or insurance issues or uh, any sense uh, we can overcome those difficulties and we can get the absolute best Canadians together in that lineup in in August and early September. Well, I think Canada will, but. Uh, you know, you're always going to have, and that's what I said about the pool, that you're always going to have one or two guys that may not be able to play. And that that's not a that's not a bad thing. It's not saying guys don't want to play. It's not saying they're not committed to being a part of Canada basketball. But it's it's a reality of life, and you know, I never had an issue with that. Uh, you know, you got to remember, you know, I, I was very conscious of that when I was coaching, that when you're in the summertime, that's your off-season. That's your time. Uh, to to get better. That's your time to get stronger. That's the time to take care of your body. That's the time to be with your family. Um, you know, that's the time to rest. Uh, you know, they, so when I'm asking you to commit and, and play for your country and devote a significant amount of time, you know, risk injury, all those. Uh, you know, that that's a big ask. Uh, but I think, like I said, Canada's pool is going to be huge. So you're going to have, um, and, and there's going to be some. You know, you may. What somebody may consider your best guy, there's another guy that other people consider this is your best guy. So uh, that's a great position to be in. So I think Canada is going to field a, field a very good team. Um, you know, I can remember uh, in 2010, you know, we qualified for the Worlds in 2009, and we went to the Worlds in 2010. And, you know, we had, we had, we had uh, you know, one NBA player, you know, and we had a bunch of young kids, and then injuries with three or four starters. Um, it's very difficult. Uh, Canada's never going to be in that situation again. Uh, and, and that tells you that uh, you're going to be in a position to have success. And, and like I said, these guys genuinely enjoy playing with each other, and they all look at playing for Canada as an honor. So uh, uh, it's going to be exciting. It certainly will be. It's it's a great time to be uh, a fan of, of Canada basketball. Just the opportunity, perhaps, to see Wiggins and Murray and Barrett and some of the others. Uh, you know, young guys, they're going to grow in that red and white uniform. And uh, you know what? The next uh, the next uh, the next few years are going to be tremendously exciting. It's uh, certainly something to look forward to. Leo, you know how much uh, we appreciate your passion and your insights and uh, taking the time for us. So all we do is wish you the best the rest of the day and thanks so much for joining us hey always a pleasure guys and if i don't talk to you have a great holiday and all your listeners as well thanks so much leo uh, leo routens anyways it's time for uh, our second break naz and look forward to uh, coming back with uh, broadcasting uh, legend the hockey hall of famer uh, hockey night in canada brian mcfarland certainly looking forward to that we'll be right back it was a rainy day in pizzaville when we received this letter my marriage is in a rut can you help us spice things up? Yes. Get the Gourmet Special. Two medium gourmet pizzas for just $24.99. He loves Canadian bacon, so he'll order a deluxe. She can order the Italian, because she loves the hot Italian sausage. Everyone's happy. Pizzaville Stone-Baked Pizza. Fiercely Canadian. Authentically Italian. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too, but the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. 
If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics. On time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. This is Zuma Radio, CFZM-FM and CFZM-AM. Owned and operated by MZ Media Incorporated. They never argue sports. They just explain while they're always correct. The boys are back. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Good morning and welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. Without further ado, we're pleased to welcome to the Naz and Wally uh, Sports Hour, Brian McFarland, hockey player, broadcaster, author, painter, songwriter, and legend. Brian, good morning and welcome. Good morning, guys. How are how are you? Are you the two best Zoomers on that show? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you, you, you for the first time in probably five years, Brian, you've rendered me speechless. So, wow. uh, well, you uh, know, I hear very good things about Zoomer Radio, and uh, that's good. It's all, always nice to work in an environment where you're happy, right? Yeah, it, we certainly are, Brian. And interestingly enough, this is Zoomer Radio, and uh, we 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 uh, Naz and I were talking about the. Toronto Maple Leafs and the Boston Bruins last night, and uh, somehow we got into a conversation of an infamous Toronto-Boston game, and I'm sure you remember it very well. I'm not, I, you may have even been on that broadcast. I was. was I almost got fired on that broadcast by Punch Imlac. Was that was that we were the one we were talking about? Because there's a lot of famous Toronto-Boston uh, games. We were talking about the infamous eleven nothing game. Oh, going way back. Yeah, yeah I wasn't uh, involved then. I'm thinking about 1960. Oh, uh, I'm thinking of a ten nothing game where yeah. the Bruins beat the Leafs, That's, and Quinn yeah. was Quinn nailed Orr with I thought a pretty good check and yeah. flattened him, and then he was in the penalty box and the crowd tried to get at Quinn and they were ready to lynch him that day. Yeah, there's there's certainly been some interesting uh, Toronto-Boston ones over the year. Brian, uh, it's it's a distinct and utter uh, privilege and pleasure to to uh, to have you on our show. And uh, I've, I've got a list of about 9,000 things I'd love to chat with you about. Uh, <laughs> and I'm sure we're going to run out of time. So we're going to get into it as soon as we can. But the okay, first, question, first question I want to ask you, Brian, you're, you're obviously on Hockey Night in Canada for, for zillions of years. Uh, and we enjoyed it. Every minute of it. Uh, were you a Toronto Maple Leaf hockey fan when you were growing up? 
Oh, I sure was. I lived in Whitby when I first got into to hockey, born up in northern Ontario, then down to Whitby, and I can remember Sillaps being my most favorite player, the Leaf captain, the great captain of the Leafs, and I had an old blue sweater uh, I wore when I played on the backyard rink, and I asked my mother to cut out a piece of felt and put number 10 on the back, and she stitched it on there and I was so proud to wear that number. And then I got to meet the great man at a, oh, a Rotary Club or a Legion or something. My dad took me by the hand and walked into this room. It was filled with smoke, and he was standing there in an overcoat and a fedora hat. And my dad said, Sil, would you sign my son's uh, piece of paper here? And he put on it, best wishes, Silaps. And I said, Dad, he gave me two extra words. What a great man he is. And I always thought of him as a great person. Brian, you were, you were involved in the broadcast of a game on February 6, 1976, with the Leafs in Boston. Do you remember that and uh, that big night? And uh, night? Well, uh, couldn't you? I couldn't night, hear you very well. 1976. February 6. Oh, you did a game between uh, Boston and Toronto. Daryl Sittler's ten point night. Oh, yes, yeah, at the gardens, yeah. yeah. Oh, I was thrilled to be part of that. And those goals kept piling up, uh, two, two hat tricks in, in two peri- periods of play. And then the last goal he scored trickled in off Brad Park's skate, I believe it was. He shot from behind the net. Uh, you know, I'm 87 years old, and my memory isn't as sharp as it used to be, but I can remember that game so vividly. And uh, how Don Cherry was coaching the Bruins that night, and Jerry Cheevers had just come back, a great goaltender from the WHA, and we thought he might play Cheevers, but instead he put a rookie college, ex college player, Dave Reese, in goal, and the poor guy never played another game. <laughs> uh, talking about famous games, uh, um, uh, Brian, you were, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you were, uh, you were part of the, the, the infamous, the iconic, uh, the iconic game in Philadelphia where uh, Bob Cole, they're going home, they're going home. Yeah, I was there that day, and uh, I, I can remember running into the corridor when the Russians left the ice, and there was a meeting uh, outside the dressing room, and I didn't have a microphone, there was no camera there, and I was listening to this uh, argument going on, whether they were going to go back on the ice or not go back on, and they wouldn't get paid, and finally they returned, and I said, I had a pretty good story, but I didn't have anybody to tell it to. <laughs> so that was, a, that was a great game for Cole. He, he described it so well. Uh, he'll always be remembered for the call on that game. Uh, Brian, uh, every uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm obviously uh, going to refer to you as a broadcasting legend because you are, and it's not for the point of trying to embarrass you. Um, but your accomplishments are 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 beyond. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't even I don't know how to describe them. You, you've accomplished so much in so many different areas. Uh, but uh, when you're growing up, I always I always take the opportunity when we get uh, people of your stature on the show. When you're growing up, um, you know, the ages of 7, 8, 9, 10, uh, did you dream to be a hockey player? Which you, you were an accomplished hockey player at St. Lawrence University, and you still hold the, the goal-scoring record there. Uh, I want to remind our listeners about that, that, that uh, you could play the game. But well, it, I, I never fancied myself much of a player. I didn't, 
I, I, I didn't, you know, I was a boy growing up in a, a household of two sisters, and uh, I didn't have an older brother to tell me anything about hockey. I just practiced on the backyard rink and got to play some organized hockey. Never thought I would ever reach the NHL level. Well, maybe at a time in junior hockey, I thought there might be a chance with expansion or something like that. But uh, I knew I would, if I did make it, I was always going to be a third or fourth liner. I didn't have the great shot or the, the ability of some of the other boys. So it didn't really bother me too much. And, and of course, when I played against Belleville in a playoff series in our, in our, my junior hockey days, I realized right away if there's, there are other fellows like Belleville around, I'm certainly not going to make it. So going to St. Lawrence on a scholarship for hockey was the single best decision I ever made. I, I uh, it turned my whole life around. My mark shot up. I got on the dean's list, was class president. I met my wife on the first day of school. I brought my sister down. She was vice president. My daughters went there. Bill Torrey was a good friend of mine and a hockey player there. So uh, I think of that as being a life-turning decision for me. I don't want to ramble on here because I know you're short of time, but I'll just leave it there. Brian, you were involved with, uh, and I think you still own the rights of Peter Puck. That was a uh, <laughs> oh. great intermission uh, clip. Yeah, Peter was introduced on our NBC telecasts in the 70s, became an instant star. I acquired first the Canadian rights to Peter, then the worldwide rights. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it because I'm so unhappy that Peter appears to be all finished. His career appears to be over. And I'm going to, at my age, it's hard to get up the energy to do all the things I used to do. But I am going to take one last stab of trying to find somebody to adopt Peter Puck and bring him back to a whole new generation of hockey fans who would love him and Penny Puck for all the women that play. And I'm going to start with the NHL. I'm going to say to Gary Bettman, you you buy him from me, the rights, whatever, because I'm not going to be around much longer. Put him on the shelf for a while, if you like, and then introduce him at the proper time. And he will have a whole new generation of hockey fans there to greet him. We're talking to, to Brian McFarland. Uh, Brian, uh, you're talking about energy, and I don't know where you I don't know where you found it and where you where where you can continue to find it. But you've written. Uh, you're you're bumping up against a hundred books, and you know. And when I read that, I'm I'm just utterly astounded. That, well, I'm, uh, so I'm tell, tell me, that. tell me, tell me how you got started with the with with the book writing. Okay, uh, and and you must still be working on something. And, I, and and if you can pick one that's your favorite. Well, I was working from six o'clock this morning on a, <laughs> my latest book, A Hell of a Life in Hockey, a book of memoirs. They asked me to write about myself this time, and that's been very difficult to do. But I'm going over my. Uh, St. Lawrence days, Inkerman Rockets, uh, playing 25 years with the NHL old-timers, the people I met along the way, and, and that sort of thing. But I get it from my father, who was Leslie McFarlane, and uh, in the late 20s, he became the author of the Hardy Boys books under the name uh, Franklin W. Dixon. And he got $100 per book, flat fee, no royalties. They sold about 80 to 100 million copies. <laughs> and he would have been a very wealthy man if he'd received a penny a book. So I wanted to prove to him I could write one book going back to 1965, and I wrote a history of the NHL and then another one about King Clancy, and then they kind of snowballed, and 
now I'm, uh, I, I think I'm going to top 100. I've got about 10 books in my computer. Oh, wow. Uh, a lot of books for kids in there, pond hockey stories and that sort of thing. I, I'm doing a hell of a life in hockey, and I think that might, there's so much stuff in there, it may become two books. And I'm doing Fascinating Facts, a book of 100 Fascinating Facts for another publisher. So I don't know where it's ever going to end, but I'm just going to keep plunging forward until something stops me cold. (laughs) Brian, I understand you wrote uh, Clear the Track, Here Comes Shaq. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, Shaggy was going pretty good with the Leafs, and uh, I had a brother-in-law who was a doctorate of music, so I wrote some words, clear the track, there comes Shaq, he knocks him down, he gives him a whack, he can score goals, he's found the knack, Eddie, Eddie, Shaq. He wrote the music in about 20 minutes, it went to number one on the chum charts for about six weeks, and Eddie never forgave me for not paying him any royalties. I, I gave him an earful one day at the airport about, you know, how I felt about him, and uh, that kind of shocked him. But uh, I also found later on that I never did get any royalties for the song. So I called a music publishing firm or something, some group, and asked them about it. And they said, well, it's far too late to get royalties now. You should have got some. Would you take a 1000 bucks? I said, I sure would, but I'll never tell Shaggy. So I saw him at uh, Dennis Hull's farm one day, and I said, Shaggy, come here. I'm going to tell you something. I got $1,000 for that song, and I'm not paying you a penny. <laughs> and, and he started to laugh, <laughs> and we got uh, we got along now. Brian, yeah. I, I can name you the uh, flip side song. I bought that record. <laughs> not, they, everybody thinks I'm nuts remembering stuff like that, but Warming the Bench. Oh, Warming the Bench, the other side. The yeah. other side, yeah. And, you know, I w- we were going to put a group that sang the song on the ice during an intermission at Maple Leaf Gardens and all wearing number 23 and singing the song, and my boss put a clamp on it. He's, I don't want you making any royalties from that song. We'll we'll just play it, and we won't have the group in on the ice or anything like that. They didn't seem to have any sense of show business back then, I guess. <laughs> Brian, do you remember your first game on Hockey Night in Canada? You know, I don't. Um I probably was petrified. Oh, I do remember it for one reason, and this will, well, if Bill was alive, it might embarrass him, but midway through the game, Bill said, Brian, the puck went right along the goal line, and 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 uh, I had noticed that, and, and he said, as you know, any part of the puck on the line, it's a goal. Well, that's not true. So we went to commercial, and I said, Bill, you made a little mistake there. The puck has to be all the way over the line to count. He said, no, it doesn't. I said, well, look, I've got my rule book right here, rule 33C. Puck must be over the line to count. He said, looked at it, and he said, well, they've changed that rule. And he'd been doing games for eight or ten years, and I was astounded that he did not know that the puck had to be over the line to count. But, you know, Bill wasn't really a hockey fan, and he was such a nice guy, a gentle person, but his father wanted him to follow in, in the Foster Hewitt footsteps. I think Bill would have been a good game warden or a fisherman or an outdoorsy type. He liked the nature, nature traits and that sort of thing. But uh, he, 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 we had two meals together in 17 years on the road trips. Uh, he never went to a practice. He never went to a, a pregame um press conference or anything like that. He went to the meetings, never said anything, went and did his job, and then he was gone, out of the building, home. And uh, I thought that was rather strange. 
Uh, we're talking to Brian McFarland. Brian, I hope you got a couple more minutes. I've got a couple of tick marks here. I got a couple of more things I'd really want to ask you. So sure, I'll, go ahead. Hope we can hang in there for. Uh... Nobody asked me to do this anymore, so I'm, <laughs> I'm thrilled to be recognized well, by you guys. Well, we're it's, it's Zoomer Radio, Brian. We're uh, we uh, we we obviously have some tremendously fond memories. We lived. Uh, we lived through the the great hockey night in Canada days, uh, late fifties, early sixties. So Naz and I are uh, we we fit in well at this station. So we we've got some tremendous memories. And talking about some uh, tremendous memories, Brian. Uh, well, and I'll it, listen to you more carefully when I get back home. <laughs> you, can, you can actually listen to us on the internet if you go to www.zoomerradio.ca. Uh, oh, I can do that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to get to a point, uh, Brian. Hockey night. In Canada was more, you know, obviously for our generation. Talking about NASA myself and for your generation, it was it was it was much more than just a hockey broadcast. It was a cultural institution in this country. And uh, uh, NASA criticized me when I bring up the word culture all the time. He, he doesn't like that word, and he, he goes on me. But uh, I get into these. Uh, it, it, it was really an incredibly special thing. And, oh, it was. And, and you were a big part of that uh, when you were at when. When you were doing Hockey Night in Canada, in, in, in I like to say, for lack of a better term, in those days, um, did you did you and the, 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 those people that were part of it really understand how an important part of the Canadian fabric you were? I think we did. It's like when I played with for twenty five years with the NHL old timers. I always felt because I'd never played pro that I represented all the hockey wannabes across the land, and I said, I'd better play well. If Frank Mahovlich gives me a pass, I'd better get it and try to score, because that's what they would want to do if they were on the ice. So it was much the same with Hockey Night in Canada. I felt so privileged to wear those powder blue jackets and get up there every Saturday and and describe what happened. I was offered a job, you know, on the other side of the business, you know, in production, and it could have led to a very good salary, and and yet I turned it down because I said, no, I'm, I think I'm born to be a broadcaster and a storyteller, and I, I even though I might not make as much money as the other guys, I'd, I'd sure like to be there as long as I can. And uh, I did know that people were gathered around their TV sets, and black and white TV sets, when I started, and there were women in the kitchen making sandwiches and cookies for the guys as they, you know, for the intermissions and that sort of thing. And they'd be drinking Molson's beer probably and, you know, that sort of thing. You had a vision of that in your mind all the time you were doing those games. Uh, we're talking to Brian McFarland. Brian, uh, one other area, you know, you've got accomplishments. Uh, you know, the, we used to use this this uh, this phrase, and I think people still still use it. You're in in in, in so many ways an, a Renaissance man, broadcaster, author, painter, songwriter, hockey player. Uh, probably accomplishments, obviously that I'm not even aware of. But you're also part of a very exclusive club, and uh, this should bring back some memories for you. It's it's an exclusive club. You managed. You managed to get on the wrong side of Harold Ballard. Oh, did I ever! <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 tell us, tell us how you became a part of that exclusive club. Okay, well, I just heard Daryl Sittler in a commercial preceding <laughs> your show today, and uh, Daryl didn't show up for a game in Minnesota one night. He was having a lot of nervous uh, issues and uh, fighting, feuding with Punch Imlac, his coach and GM. 
and he just did not show up, and I sort of defended him on the intermission. I, I had all afternoon to think about it, and I tried to choose my words carefully, knowing they would just be incendiary if I twisted it around or something and said the wrong phrase and Ballard was listening. Well, I must have done that because uh, uh, I got back to Toronto, and uh, I, I think Ballard was with the Leafs on the trip, so he didn't hear about it or see the show until he got back. And then he was furious that I more or less defended Sittler in this dispute and said, I don't want him in my business, in my building anymore. And Dave Hodge and uh, the late Dick Beddoes went to him and pleaded my case, and he said, well, I'll let him do the post-game show or something on the intermission. But I ended up doing games in Winnipeg and Montreal in lieu of the Leaf games after that. So that was a, a big uh, turning point. Nowadays, the guys say pretty much what they want on the television, and uh, they're all very skilled at it and uh, do a wonderful job. So um, I don't regret it. I, In a way, I thought people might have felt I was foolish to defend Settler, knowing it would anger Ballard. But it's a long, complicated story. He was just a disastrous owner. Um, for that franchise, all those years of losing and picking the wrong people to do the, 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 the wrong jobs, perhaps, and trading away Lori Boschman because he was a religious guy, you know, uh, all those decisions were just terrible. And uh, meanwhile, the Montreal Canadiens are floating along on top of the league, winning Stanley Cup after Stanley Cup, and we're not part of the playoff uh, show. So that's pretty much the story. Brian, do you watch the Maple Leafs play at all? Well, I watched last night, yes, the whole game from down here in Florida. And I watch a lot, but I pick and choose as well. Sometimes um, uh, I'm I'm not an avid fan. I, I, I used to follow so closely because you had to if you were in the business of broadcasting. I used to get annoyed at, at Ward Cornell because I felt he wasn't really a hockey guy. He would watch football right up until it was time to do Hockey Night in Canada. And Strombolopoulos, his host, I thought was a misfit, nice man, and, and uh, tried hard, but just didn't seem to be the hockey guy we all want on there. So those are my opinions as they stand. They don't mean much. Well, they mean a lot, Brian, and uh, on uh, on that note, uh, your opinions will always mean a lot, and your books will be a uh, a legacy to leave to future future generations. Uh, our time has come to an end, Brian. I'd love to be able to do this for significantly longer. Naz, as uh, my co-host, has been looking at me, uh, and he's 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 uh, he knows You're nodding off. No, no not no, nodding off. He knows he knows. I've had a smile on uh, on my face during this entire interview. Uh, uh, all kidding aside, Brian, uh, you're a big part, and we, you know we we've had Harry Neal on the show, we've had Bob Cole on the show. Uh, you you you're from a generation. You're true broadcasting legends. You entertained us. You informed us. Uh, you gave us your passion for hockey. And uh, well, listen, I don't want to interrupt you because yeah. I know you're short on seconds, but. Uh, uh, I'm moving on to a new vocation. I'm a painter now, yep. and I sold 16 paintings in October last year, uh, this year, and I'm pretty proud of that, and I'm getting better all the time. I know I'm running out of time to become really good at it, <laughs> but I'm working away at it, and it's uh, having some uh, success, so I, I'm proud of that. Brian, all I can say is thanks so much for joining us. It's been a privilege and a pleasure for us. 
us. We can only wish you all the best. And uh, yes, by all means, uh, you know, keep uh, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks so I much. I really appreciate you having me on, guys. Go Zoomer. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. And Merry Christmas to you. S- same yes. to you, Brian, and Thanks. to your family. Thanks so much. Bye bye. Uh, by Brian Brian McFarland, uh, yeah, and as I'm sure you've seen the smile on my face, uh, you know we get uh, you talk of the, the with these, uh, you know Brian's uh, part of it, you know, just a complete gentleman, and um, uh, when you when you look back on on a career, wow, wow, wow what how incredible accomplishments in in so many different places, and just uh, reminds us of uh, some pretty good times. Do you know who the voiceovers were for uh, Peter Puck? Was it Brian McFarland? No. <laughs> no. Who was it? It was Ronnie Shell. He used to play Duke and Gomer Pyle. Oh, was that? Was, yeah. Oh, that's and right. The other yeah, one, yeah, was, okay. which is really surprising, part of the Monkeys, Mickey Dolans. Was oh, Mickey Dolans. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So those well, are it, the two it, guys. Interesting tidbits. Uh, anyways, Naz, uh, we've got uh, a couple of minutes left. Uh, sorry, I, I interrupted. It seemed like you had something on your mind. No, it's okay. Go ahead. Uh, baseball Hall of Fame. We've got two minutes. Uh, we've had that discussion on this show quite a few times. Uh, we are big proponents of Tim Raines a few years back. Could be another significant, I believe it's being announced tonight, if I'm not mistaken. Um there's going to be another significant Blue Jay uh, um, going into the Hall of Fame, I believe. Uh, I think he has the merit. Uh, there's no question he will be in the Hall of Fame someday, I hope. Uh, it's his first time up. Of course, we're talking about uh, Roy Halladay, two Cy Youngs. Uh, Mariano Rivera is up today. Uh, he's he's, he's a, the he's lock. A lock yeah. He's an absolute lock. Uh, Roy Halladay. It's very difficult to get into the Baseball Hall of Fame the first uh, first go up. That's that's a pretty remarkable accomplishment if it happens. This year's class, Roy Halladay, uh, after Mariano Rivera, seems to be the uh, the choice. He seems to be everybody's second choice. Uh, well, if that's the case, then he'll get yeah. in. Uh, so we're we got our fingers crossed. Obviously, uh, uh, Roy passed away in tragic circumstances. Uh, uh, love to see him. Love to see him go in the hall. Uh, the other, the other gentleman who's not in the hall uh, that I, I personally would love to see is Larry Walker. I thought I thought Larry Walker had a Hall of Fame worthy career. We'll see. We'll see what like, happens. Doesn't there. look like he's going to make it though. Anyways, uh, our time for the Nazawali Sports Hour for this week uh, has has come to an end. Uh, and uh, Naz, last word. Clear the track. Here comes Shaq. Check. He knocks him down and he gives him a whack. Have a good week. How can I top that? To all our listeners, have a fantastic week.